Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Tonight I'll be reading from uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. If you follow along on your pew Bibles, page 973. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering home after home. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Uh, there was one thing I said in that, that description, which uh, I did say that, but it, it was a joke. <laughs> if you didn't hear the humble part, that was the joke part, <laughs> and humble. Uh, and then I changed it. I changed it. And every married man will understand this. Yeah. Uh, I changed it. I said, no, don't tell them I'm all those things and humble. Tell them I'm all those things and humbled by my wife when I dare to think any of those things. That's what, that's what I said. So, uh, yeah. Uh, it's good to be with you. And uh, uh, if you do want to hear some stuff about the Arnolds that doesn't get put in the bulletin, see me afterwards. And, uh, and I'll be happy to, to do that. Uh, I preached at Creve Hall just a few minutes ago, <laughs> and then uh, hit, it, uh, it, was, it was great. We had a, an abbreviated plan because of uh, our Bible Bowl, uh, a thing we do the, the, the Sunday before the Bible Bowl, uh, and uh, so we, we decided to do that tonight, and this, that, worked, that was going to work out very, very well. Thank you for, for allowing me to come. It's always good to be here. I, as I told Phil Pig on a text, so many people here that we love seeing and have called friends for a long time. And uh, just so grateful uh, for the invitation every time it's come. <coughs> if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Acts. I've changed my mind on what I was going to talk about. Uh, originally, uh, and I even threw this out there as a possibility to, to Phil and, and, uh, and the elders, that uh, threw this out there that, well, right now I think my first two things I would think about were I was going to go to... Uh, Matthew to the feeding of the 5,000 and, uh, and I was going to discuss uh, what, we, what we see there, not from the standpoint of how we regularly approach it, but what else does it tell us? A lot of times when we go to the feeding of the 5,000, we're looking at uh, things, that, uh, uh, things that we've, we've talked about for years, including things that we learned in somebody's Sunday school class in the fourth grade. But what I was going to do was look at things that uh, are there that we don't always talk to the young ones about that are necessary later in life. And I still think that would have been, uh, hopefully, a, a fine lesson and a lesson that's good for any congregation under this concept. Jesus can feed me. That Jesus can feed me. But he can feed me only in, because of certain things. I can have confidence that Jesus can feed me. Uh, as he has in the past, he can continue feeding me in the future. Here's why. 
And we'll maybe wrap some of those thoughts in when it comes to be invitation time. The other thing I was going to talk about dealt with leaning in. And so what I want to do is kind of use as a, as a diving board here, as a jumping off place. I want to use uh, something I would have said in that second lesson I was thinking about, which was related to leaning in for evangelistic opportunities with a community. Leaning in for evangelistic opportunities with coworkers, with friends, with neighbors, with family for that matter. I'm going to start this way. A quick picture. One guy in the room, Ricky Sweeney, a friend of mine from, uh, well, kindergarten through college and each other's weddings, that kind of thing. And again, the, the Sweeney's are very close friends with the Arnolds as well. They're here tonight. And Ricky will remember this. We had a common friend in high school named Mark French. Okay? Mark was a groomsman in my wedding. I was in his wedding. Uh, Mark, uh, in seventh grade, was on the basketball team with me. Only three seventh graders were kept on the team because back then it was a seventh, eighth, ninth grade team. There's quite a bit of difference in most seventh grade boys and ninth grade boys. So there were only three uh, seventh grade boys kept. Uh, I was one, Mark was one, and there was one more. Well, Mark was, just to say, just to, now look, he was one of my longest running best friends growing up and so on. Like I said, I had him in my wedding. Uh, so please understand, I'm not insulting him. But of the three seventh grade boys, Mark was going to be the last of the seventh grade boys to get in. Okay? So he's on the end of the end of the bench. But he was insistent that he was going to get in. And so what Mark would do, if you can imagine I'm a basketball coach, if, if, and, and, and I'm watching what's going on, I'm watching what's going on on the floor, and then it's time to put in a sub, and I, I might lean down this way and look, or I might lean back this way and look on the bench. As guys are seated and staggered, and I'm looking for somebody in particular, and somebody, some head's in the way, that kind of thing. So Mark figured it out. He would keep the coach in his uh, peripheral vision, and when the coach leaned forward, Mark would lean up and encourage the team. And when the coach stood up, Mark stood up and encouraged the team. And when the coach did this and then went this, Mark found his reason to lean back and encourage the team. And I'd look at him and I'd say, what are you doing? You're, you're not going in. <laughs> you're not going in, at least no time soon. We're down here on the end of the bench as seventh graders. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to get in his line of sight. And I'm saying, well, it's still not going to matter. We came to one of the last games of the season, and Mark's doing it again, and I'm messing with him again about how silly that is to do. And about that time, Coach leans up and he goes, his last name was French. He goes, oh, okay, French, get on up here. <laughs> he had seen it all year. He had seen it all year, and finally it worked. Listen, we need to learn to lean in for opportunities with other people. I don't meet the example of, I don't meet the call of Scripture and I don't meet the example of Jesus when I simply consider accepting those opportunities that fall into my lap. Accepting, now, there's one thing worse. I could just, I could have an opportunity present itself and I ignore it. That's worse. But accepting opportunities that come to me does not meet the picture of Jesus. It doesn't meet the picture of Jesus in John chapter 4 with a Samaritan woman at the well, a woman he should have never been talking to. Jewish male, Samaritan female. That's as big a gap as you could possibly get in socialization. Okay? That's as big a gap as it could possibly get. But he started the conversation. And he did it 
because of his purpose. It doesn't meet the example of Jesus in John 8 with the woman caught in adultery that could have been stoned by law. And yet, Jesus leaned in to make impact upon her. I don't meet. Let's not get excited about how well we're doing when we simply accept opportunities that are dropped in our lap. That's better than rejecting them, and I'm going to have to answer for that rejection, but it still doesn't meet the call of Scripture. It doesn't meet the picture of Jesus unless I'm the one purposefully leaning in to try to create the opportunity. That is meeting Scripture. And I can tell you, brethren, not everybody in God's kingdom is doing that. Accepting, maybe, hopefully, but leaning in, don't think so. And we need to do that. Now, I say that to say this. <clears throat> I want you to go to Acts, <clears throat> and I want you to... <coughs> excuse me. There is <clears throat> there's one way in which I think every congregation and every individual in every congregation can do a better job at leaning in for opportunity. And it's going to be pictured in the life of one who you know well. I know I'm not introducing you to anybody new in the text when we talk about Saul of Tarsus. Paul. Saul to become Paul. Okay, well, when do we first meet Saul who becomes Paul? So I may say Saul, I may say Paul, you know who I'm talking about. Okay, it's yes and yes. But when do we first meet him? Well, if you go to Acts chapter 8, well, actually, if you go to Acts chapter 7 and you go to the close of Acts chapter 7, you've got Stephen, the martyr, he's being stoned to death. Stephen's being stoned to death. Uh, and he, and he's, he's taking it on, certainly he's human, but nonetheless he's taking it on very well, I would say, right? When you look at his words compared to maybe what the average persons would be, and even maybe too many Christians would be. He's taking it on quite well. So this is what's happening. And in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, depending on your translation, I'm just going to summarize, and Saul was there. Now, some translations, a lot of translations will say this, giving hearty approval to his death. What is hearty approval? I tell you what hearty approval is not. Let's define it by taking some stuff off the table. Approval, hearty approval is not wrong place, wrong time. You ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? Yeah? Uh, or right place at the right time, but you weren't purposing it. Hearty approval isn't happened to be there. Hearty approval isn't wrong place, wrong time. Hearty approval is not guilt by association. Hearty approval is, hey, John, let me, uh, hey, John, let me hold that outer garment. You know, they would have had an outer flowing garment, much like we might call a robe, and then they had their inner garment. John, let me hold that outer garment. It looks a little tight on you through here. Let me hold that for you so you can really get your arm back and get a good one in on him right there as they're stoning Stephen. Hearty approval is applause. Hearty approval is cheering them on. Now, you'll see in a minute why this matters. Why does it matter? Oh, it matters. Because what I'm getting at eventually tonight is one of the best ways to lean in for someone to be impacted by Christ, impacted by His Word, impacted by His people is simply this, and it comes in the form of a question. Do you let 
people change. Do you let people change? Do you know anybody that doesn't let anybody else change? You know, it's, it's, a, uh, it, it's a high school reunion. And that person, somebody comes in and they look across the room when they first walk in and there's Joe Smith. Now, I didn't graduate with Joe Smith, so I'm just making the name up, okay? There's Joe Smith. And somebody goes, ah, oh, look at there. There's Joe Smith. And I go, yeah, Joe Smith. There's Sally Jones. Oh, yeah, Sally Jones. How, how old are you, sir? Uh, I'm, I'm 45. How often do you talk to Sally Jones? Um, every 10th year reunion? Or, I, I don't know, I hadn't seen her or spoken to her since we graduated. Oh, but I know her. Because I know something from, right? Right? Let me ask you a question. I'm dead serious. Do you let people change? One of the best ways to lean in for evangelistic opportunity is them getting the picture that you as a Christian will let them change. And actually, you'd be thrilled. You'd rather be wrong about them in considering them just like you used to considering them. You'd rather be wrong. Do you let people change? Do you know why some people are not interested in God's people? It's because they assume God's people would never let them change. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. We're getting introduced to the guy that the Lord handpicked to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Why would he handpick a guy who's doing this? But that's who he, just like why did he pick Peter to preach the greatest sermon ever known to man? I mean, the, could have picked somebody that didn't deny him just a few days earlier, right? But he picks that guy? And so Saul's there, and he's giving hearty approval. Look what happens in verse 3 of Acts 8. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women... And he would put them in prison. It's going to get worse. Ravaging, though, is a pretty brutal word, right? Ravaging. Ravaging is not, didn't have you over for dinner. Ravaging isn't ignored you when you passed him on the street. Ravaging the church is serious business. That's what we get in Acts 8.3. Flip over to Acts chapter 9. When you get to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Still. So he hadn't taken a break. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way... Does that sound odd to you, the way? Shouldn't. Could we be called the way? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. We are the church of Christ. I am the way. We could, it could say the way at Laverne outside here on the sign. And that'd be just fine if you're trying to meet Scripture, right? The way. That's how they were known in the first century. That's, that was their moniker from other people. 
So Saul's breathing out the, and he wants it to be legal and criminal now. We're, we're going to make this criminal, verse 2. He's going to throw them in, I want official letters to make this criminal. And you know what happens in verse 3 and verse 4 as he's approaching Damascus and the light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. He heard the voice of God, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who, out, who, art, there? who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, in the verses that follow, the next several sets of verses, in Acts, staying in Acts chapter 9, he's going to get his marching orders. And then Ananias, down around verse 13, Ananias knows this man. Okay, So understand, Ananias is not in the dark. This is important. Ananias is not in the dark on who this is. So in verse 13 we get, but Ananias answered. That's after the Lord has asked him to do something. I've got a plan for this man Saul, this man Paul. I've got a plan. It's my plan. I need you to help facilitate the plan in this way, Ananias. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to the saints at Jerusalem. His resume has been on full display. Saul's resume to the church has been on full display, and it's not a thing of beauty. It's not a thing of appreciation. Lord, I'm, uh, wait a minute. What you're asking me to do, if this was somebody else, you, you're going to take this guy? The, you're going to take this guy? Lord, I, I would think the only way you'd take this guy is to the cemetery. He's been ravaging the church. I would think the only way you would take, act upon him is to take him out back, so to speak. Lord, you want to take this guy and you want me to be involved. I know his resume. <laughs> when, when, when my dad was a, a, a quite young boy, uh, he used to go down to Columbia a lot, uh, technically Murray County, not so much Columbia. He spent a lot of time in Santa Fe at his granddaddy's farm and he'd work on the farm. And he was down there one time, and there were two ways he could take, two routes he could take to a certain uh, errand he was going to run for his granddaddy. And he knew the shorter of the two routes, and he also knew the danger in the shorter of the two routes. And the danger in the shorter of the two routes uh, was comprised of two individuals who were two or three years older than Dad who guarded that bridge. Let me ask you a question. How, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have ever seen the Andy Griffith episode of Opie and the Milk Money. Yeah, there are a few Christians in the room. And, uh, and he gets beat up for his milk money. Well, Dad knew the shorter way was this way. So he's going to go this way. He knew the risk, and those two guys were there. And Dad was 9, 10 years old, and these guys were like 12 and they worked him over really good, really bad, however you want to say it. They beat him up. I want you to fast forward to the West 7th Street Church of Christ many years later when Dad is holding a meeting at that congregation. And guess who came forward to be baptized? One of those two guys who had worked him over good. Now, he didn't know who Dad was. But because of other family connections, Dad knew exactly who he was. 
And dad said, when I baptized that man into Christ, I held him under just a little bit longer. <laughs> Can you see that? You're going down. I've done many baptisms. Like You're going down to here and you get to here and they're under the water and he starts thinking that's long enough and he starts to come up. And you're like, no. <laughs> no. David would say this, for I know my sin, it's ever before me. And dad's thinking, I know your sin. <laughs> it was all over my face and you need to stay under just a little bit longer. Listen, the Lord knows exactly who Saul is. And he knows exactly where his failings were in the previous couple of chapters. And he picked him anyway. Now I want you to see the, what happens after that. What happens after that, and this is faithfulness. In verse 15, and I was scared to death, verse 13, 14, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Look at verse 17 and how it begins. It doesn't matter what translation you're carrying tonight when you see this. I'm reading from, obviously from mine, it says, And Ananias departed and entered the house. Do you know what you don't see? What you don't see is a negotiation. What you don't see is Ananias thinking, this is the time when I begin to take a walk with Jesus and begin negotiations. We sing sometimes songs like this. Um, uh, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. And we, we sing songs about walking with Jesus. Uh, once from my poor sin-sick soul, uh, Christ did every burden roll. Now I walk redeemed and whole, hand in hand with Jesus. There's another one. Hand in hand we walk each day, hand in hand along the way. Walking thus I will not stray, hand in hand with Jesus. And the picture becomes that because Jesus wants to have a personal relationship and personally walk with me, he's my buddy. The Lord is not your buddy. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your God. Don't make the mistake that the Lord's relationship with you is one in which you, we clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadows here. And we just swing our arms and laugh. And then I can say, Tell you what, what if I just this? Did Ananias get that idea? We have no negotiation beginning in verse 17. Lord, I don't want to go do this with this man. I know his resume upon the church, ravaging the church. I know this man, I'm scared to death. No, you go, for he is my chosen instrument. And the very next words are, and Ananias departed. You may have a translation that says, so Ananias departed. Which means Ananias thought, okay. We're not going into negotiations here. I'm to go and lean in to do the business of the Lord. Now, keep going in Acts chapter 9 and look at verse 22. Now, Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus 
uh, is the Christ earlier in verse uh, 20, by the way. I should have started in verse 20 and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying he's the Son of God. So he didn't wait. He started right in on his task uh, upon his conversion. Verse 22, he kept increasing in that strength. He kept con confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus. He kept proving that Jesus is the Christ. But look at this, verse 23, and many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. Let me get about as real as, as real as I know to get right here. You want to see what's true and genuine about a group? Watch what happens when one they championed as their own turns his life a different direction and see how long they champion him. Some in our society that are the most supposedly the most tolerant and the most loving become quickly the most intolerant and unloving as soon as somebody says, no, 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 I don't have to live that way. They do. Ask people that have done it. Ask people that have left it. Ask them about the abuse that has been heaped upon them because they dared to say, actually, no, I can help it. And now, remember who Saul is, by the way. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He gives his resume in several other places in the New Testament. This guy, his resume is stacked. This is the guy. And the guy is suddenly public enemy number one. Where does he go? Where does he go now? The church, should they take him? Well, people like Ananias, understandably, would say, no, we don't want any part of him. We know about him. The Pharisees, the scribes, they don't want him anymore. Where's he supposed to go? Is anybody going to take him? And then we get to verse 27. Verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Let's cut the disciples some slack here. They weren't present on the road to Damascus. They just know he was holding the coats so they could stone Stephen. They know he was ravaging the church. They know he was asking for letters to place them in prison. Murderer. That's what they know. So let's cut the church some slack temporarily. And then verse 27, a word of contrast begins in verse 27, but, but. That's a word of contrast. By contrast, but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to them and how at Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus and that's all it took, because look at verse 28. And he was speaking with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Now here's what's going to happen later in the chapter to summarize. What's going to happen later in the chapter is, the former hunter has now become the hunted, and is going to wind up being the protected by the ones he was earlier hunting. Got that? The hunter became the hunted and became the protected by the ones he was earlier hunting. 
How does that happen? It happens sometimes with one person who has the integrity, the spiritual integrity, the spiritual and moral fiber, the example before the brethren. Somebody's got to start it is what I'm saying. Somebody has to start it in every congregation. Somebody has to start it in a family. Somebody has to start it and be the one that goes, uh, hey, hey, hey. He, he's okay. Let, let me tell you. Let me tell you. By the way, don't you know Barnabas was taking on quite a risk? What could have happened was Barnabas is put him in, putting himself in jeopardy with his reputation with the church because he's aligning, seemingly aligning with Saul, Paul. But it was good enough. And who did Paul become? He writes more than anybody else that comprises, once the early church is established, what comprises the rest of the New Testament. He writes more than anybody else. We've taught Bible classes out of the New Testament more from his hand than any other book. Because Barnabas was generous to the idea that somebody could change. Flip over quickly to Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36 and finishing out the chapter, Acts 15, 36 through 41, you know the story. I'll summarize. Beginning in verse 36, Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're going to say, let's return and let's go visit the congregations in every city that we, where we had preached before. Let's go back and check on them and let's see how they're doing. Barnabas thinks we need to take John, also called Mark, so we call him John Mark. And Paul says, no, 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 we don't want to take him because he had deserted us before. He had, he had gotten homesick and he didn't finish. And Scripture says in verse 39, the disagreement was so sharp that they parted company. But look at something. Verse 39, they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus, but Pilate, but Saul, I'll get it right in a minute, but Paul chose Silas. I was merging those names. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed to the bread and the grace of the Lord. What's the example we see right there? We see that disagreement in the church over people does not give somebody the right to take their ball and go home. Amen. Who's right in, in this? Who's right? Who you side with? Right? Be careful. I'm not, that's why I'm not asking for a show of hands. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But who, who you side with? I mean, this is the most important work in the world. And if it demands, by the way, y'all are as frozen as, do not move. <laughs> and so you're afraid you're going to look like the auctioneer who just said, no, I was just scratching my nose and, you, and you've sold something you've, or you've bought something. And I say, who you side with? If you side with Paul, understandably. I mean, this is the most important work in the world. It's, it's, it's too important to be left to those who aren't serious about it. I side with Paul. And somebody goes, no, 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 wait a minute. 
we serve a God of second chances or you're not saved yourself. Ah. Who do you side with? Who's right? The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer right here is yes. Okay? Do you know what Paul himself said later in the New Testament? Hey, bring John Mark. For he is useful to me now. Wonder what made him useful. Could it be that Barnabas did with him the same thing he did with Saul? What made him useful so that Paul now is the one calling for him? It's because somebody said, I think that change could be real, could be possible and is real in him. So, if you want to lean in for opportunity with people, I promise you in the city of Laverne, Tennessee and anywhere else you want to go, I promise you there are people that are wishing somebody could believe that they have changed. And if a congregation builds its reputation on that, you'll have plenty of people coming to this place. And word travels fast. So, I asked the question to start, do you let people change? Would you let people change? Would you utilize that purposefully to get opportunities to talk about other things with them? Because taking what drops in my lap does not meet the example of Jesus. It doesn't meet the call of Scripture. You and I were called to lean in. By the way, 1 Peter 2.9 answers that. 1 Peter 2.9 says it doesn't matter if you're young, young Christian, short-time Christian, long-time Christian. It doesn't matter if you're 25 or 85. Hear this. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you came from this tree in the church or, hmm, never mind. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. You've got this job, one job. We are a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, that we will be busy doing what? 1 Peter 2.9 says, declaring out there declaring the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Do you know who would welcome coming out of darkness? People in the dark. So, do you let people change? You want to talk, you want to pray, God, give me somebody to work with? The first thing God might have to do is you got to be willing to be worked with. You. And then maybe He can use your willingness to be worked with to work upon somebody else. Lean in. Lean in for opportunity. So we sing an invitation song. I don't even... What's the... Who's, where's the song leader go? What, what's, the, what's the song? 870? Why keep Jesus waiting? It's a question, uh, and, and it's a serious question. 
Why would you? Why would you keep him? Because when you keep him waiting to act upon you, you're keeping somebody else waiting potentially from even knowing him. Maybe in your own family. I, I, I said this, I've said this multiple times as a guest speaker in multiple places. Look, folks, I'm not running for office. Okay? I'm not up here to run for office. I don't need anybody's vote. Maybe in your own family. Maybe in the workplace. Maybe a neighbor. Maybe anywhere. Maybe the clerk at Walmart. I don't know. But I'd start close to home and work out and see what the Lord can do. See what He can do with you first and then you'd be amazed what He can do with you out there. And that's the point and the call of the invitation. If you have any need at all, we'll be standing to encourage you. Josh will be up here. We hope you'll come. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.